Welcome back to the Grand Valley Church Podcast, a community of faith in Brandon, Manitoba. We hope this message helps you meet Jesus and grow in faith. This morning, we're launching into a new sermon series called Crazy Like Us. You know, the people in the fount- around the fountain at the beginning, what they're doing looks strange. It looks weird. The people that are seeing them are like, what's, what's this? What's going on? But when it's put together... At the end, they created this beautiful image, this, this piece that looked crazy to everyone else, made sense to them as they were doing it. Now this morning, we're going to be doing something, we're going to be talking about a topic that might seem a little crazy at first, but I want to start, there's this moment in the Gospel of John, it's about midway through Jesus' ministry when he is gathered, there's tons of people following him, there's tons of people going with him, traveling, he's got his 12 disciples and a whole bunch more with him. And Jesus has been performing miracles, and there's people following him. And there's this moment where Jesus teaches the crowds. He gives them a message, and he loses them. He loses the crowd. And as I was preparing for this sermon series, there's this part where I've been thinking, maybe this is one of those moments where we lose the crowd, where everyone kind of looks at it and says, this is too hard. I can't follow this. This is too much, this teaching. And so all these crowds, all these people walk away from Jesus because they say, we can't do what you're calling on us to do. We can't do what you're talking about. Because today we're starting a three-week series and we're going to be talking about something that you, that all of us, we already think we're good at. And so I want to teach you how to be and how to do something that you think you're already good at. We think we're all pros and we've all got this nailed down and we've got it. So this sermon series is called Crazy Like Us, and there's two things I want to tell you about this. So first of all, why this series matters. Well, the framework of this series actually comes from a guy named Andy Stanley. He's a pastor down in the States who kind of came up with this concept, and and they're loaning it to us for us to work through. But the second reason why this is important is if we were able to do a survey, and I asked you this question, are you good at this, at what this thing is? I guarantee we would probably have a 95% of us or more would all say, yeah, we got this down. We know how to do this. We've got this. But every one of us, if we stopped for a moment and we thought, we'd probably realize, wait a second, I'm not. I don't actually have this down. This is something I actually do need to learn and figure out. See, this is something that's so important that we all think we're good at. But we, in, on the inside, we know sometimes we really struggle at this and we'll only know if we teach it and if we do it. So that's what we're focusing on. So here's our big goal. Our whole big goal for this series is we're going to talk about how do we become generous. I'm not talking about how we do giving or how we do generosity because we all know how to give. That's different. We're talking about how do we actually become generous. See, being generous is different than just doing generosity because being generous is about how do we approach our lives and how do we handle things. See, and part of the reason why this is so important is, is we always define ourselves by the opposite. We always define ourselves by the one exception that breaks the rule. Now, if you think about this, wives, if you, if you, maybe you've thought about this in terms of like, you know, why doesn't my husband help out around the house a little more? And maybe you've said this to your spouse, you know, honey, why don't you just open the dish, you know, unload the dishwasher a little more? And what does your husband do? And I'm going to pick on guys because we've probably done this. We pull out our phones and we go back to March 22nd, 2016. We say on that one time I emptied the dishwasher. We all, we do this, don't we? We point to the one exception that breaks the rule. And we say, see, I help out. I do things. I did it once in 2016. Isn't that good enough? 
No, see, being generous is about so much more than that. Being generous is about how we understand our lives, uh, how we tackle things, because the truth is we're good at random acts of giving. We're good when there's a need or someone presents something to us and maybe they inspired us or they persuaded us or they guilted us. And we, we feel like giving often gets tacked on to this sales pitch. And that's not what we're doing at all in this series. We're not talking about sales pitch. We're not talking about trying to motivate or persuade or guilt you. All I want to do is I want to lay out this is what Scripture talks about. This is what being generous truly is. And let you make up your mind. See, we have to learn how to be generous. See, it doesn't come naturally. Because generosity is more than just random acts of giving. And we know that this doesn't come naturally because here's the truth. We have to teach our children to share. But we, as adults, we have to convince ourselves that sharing is a good thing. Now, don't elbow your spouse if they don't share. This is an elbow-free zone. You're not allowed to prompt your spouse and be like, yeah, yeah, this is about you. None of that today. But generosity doesn't come naturally. It doesn't become naturally to us because every opportunity that comes up when we have to share or when an opportunity comes up to give, every one of us, and I'm speaking for myself, I'm including this in this, has this little twinge of, but I'd rather just keep it for me. See, every one of us has a self-preservation instinct. And that self-preservation instinct in a lot of ways serves good. You know, it's what keeps us from doing risky and dangerous things that are frivolous. All of us have stories in our teenage years where, you know, we ignored that self-preservation instinct and we kind of look back and now go, man, it's great that I somehow survived that and stayed alive. You know, guys, we know that a little more than, than the ladies do in the room. But we, every opportunity we have to share, to give, to be generous, we have this little bit inside of us, this self-preservation instinct that we actually have to wrestle with for a moment. And that's what we're talking about because being generous means how do we learn with that? See, there's a promise that comes from Scripture and it comes from Jesus that what happens if we're generous? And Andy Stanley, he summarized it up this way. He said, when you become generous, you will give more, save more, and consume less. Now, this, if we were just talking about giving, we'd only care about that first line. But this series is actually more about becoming generous so we can save more, we can consume less. And along the way, we tackle this. And if this promise doesn't seem enough, there's the promise that Jesus made in Scripture that Paul repeated that we're going to talk about today, where Jesus actually makes the promise that you will be happier if you choose to live this way. You will be fulfilled if you choose to live this way. So that's what we're talking and tackling about. Because the truth is, when it comes to money, generosity has, doesn't come naturally, it has to be taught. But when it comes to money, crazy is natural. If you think about how we tend to handle money, we tend to handle money in crazy ways. Every one of us could probably think of bad purchases or bad choices, or maybe we bought something and we didn't have the money, so we financed it, but the moment we buy it, it loses its value, and so we're paying interest on something. We end up upside down on the financing of it. We tend to act crazy with money. When I was 19, 18, 19, I through some circumstances, I landed into an amazing job. I was, had only a grade 12 education, was making way more money than an 18, 19-year-old kid ever should. I was still living at home. My parents had given me an old beater car a number of years before. I had no expenses and tons of money. 
And I wasted pretty much every single cent over that year and a half. And, you know, I acted crazy with my money because I had no clue how to do something different with it. Every two weeks, a, a, a check came to me of this amount, and I went, sweet, I've got two weeks to spend this much. See, that's our natural position with money. We're crazy with it. That's why we've got to learn. That's why we've got to tackle this. Because in the past, it used to always be that if you owed money, the poor people owed money to the rich. But the reality of our world today is the richer you are, the more you likely owe. You know, whether that's financing, whether that's loans, whether that's credit cards, it's actually true that the more money we have, the more we tend to owe to others. And because of that, because we owe, we don't feel rich. We don't feel like we actually have what we have because we owe. And in fact, because of the reason for that is we always compare ourselves up. We always pull into the parking lot of the grocery store and you look over at the newer car next to us. Or you see someone with a bigger house when you're driving through a different neighborhood and you always compare yourself up and feel like, man, I always have less. I always have less. I always have worse. I always have older clothes, last season styles, whatever. But the problem with that is we never put, itself, put ourselves in a bigger perspective. We never actually take a step back and look at the whole picture of it. See, in Manitoba, our minimum wage is about 11.35 an hour. If you were to work full-time at minimum wage in Manitoba, what percentage of the world do you think that would put you in? Which percentile? Minimum wage full-time in Manitoba puts you in the top 5% of the entire world. If you make minimum wage, you are richer than 95% of the world. You don't say you only work half-time at minimum wage. That still puts you in the top 15% of the world. See, even though we live in a nation that has plenty, we live in a, in a country that has lots, we don't feel like we have that because we don't understand this being generous part. Instead of seeing ourselves and our world and our lives through this lens of how do we be generous, we get tackled in this stance where we think money is crazy and we just want more and we get wrapped up in all this. And so that's what we're going to tackle today. That's what we're going to talk about. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to talk about four myths about generosity. We're going to talk about a definition. We're going to talk about some scripture. And then I'm going to ask you to use your imagination. You know, I'm going to ask you to think and wonder about something. And then we're going to do the thing we always do here where we have some discussion questions and we wrap them up together and we talk about it. So here's the first question that you can respond to through the YouVersion Bible app or we're going to talk about at the end. Why do you think it's hard to be generous? Why do you think it's tough to be generous? And just think about that for a moment. You can respond on the app. So let's start with the four myths. What are four big myths about generosity? Well, here's the first one. Generosity is spontaneous. We think that generosity is when there's a need, we respond to it. Someone we know has a, has a tough time or something happens in their life, you know, and we collect a bit of money and we give it to them, we say, that's generosity. Now, compassion is great. Compassion is good. Giving is good. Don't hear me wrong on that. But generous people are moved less by emotion and more by choosing in advance. They choose to be given. They choose to plan out their generosity in advance. And so if you want to be generous, one of the first steps is to plan out your generosity in advance, not just responding to whatever comes up, but you plan it out. You make a choice. The second myth about generosity is that generosity is set by your cash flow. 
So on the day after payday, you're thinking, yeah, you know, I can be generous. I've got lots. I've got a balance in my account. But later on through the end of the month, maybe you start thinking, oh, no, I can't be generous. I can't be generous because it's all set by my cash flow. You know, we think that if we don't have extra, we can't be generous. But the truth is that generous people are consistently generous. Because it's planned out, because it's a choice, because it's chosen, generous people are able to be consistent with their generosity. And that's one of the hallmarks of it. The third myth about generosity, it's the amount that counts. We think that the, the dollar figure attached to that donation is what makes it matter. And you've probably heard this. You know, sometimes you hear about it on the news or, or maybe in a group of friends. You know, so-and-so, they gave such a generous donation to that cause, that organization, that program. So-and-so gave a generous donation. Now, here's the truth. The only person that knows if that donation was truly generous is the person who gave it. Because that donation, even though to you or me it may seem like a, a pile of money, that may have only been pocket change to them. That may have just been a whim, a spontaneous, yeah, sure, here you go. That may not have actually come out of a choice to be generous. See, the amount matters less than the intention and the choice behind the donation. And though there's a fourth myth, rich people are generous. We think that you have to have wealth in order to be generous. But here's the truth about it. Rich people are rich. Generous people are generous. There's actually no correlation between the two. There's no set correlation. And here's the truth. If you start learning how to be generous, and you think, you know, I'll be generous later on in my life when I have more money. I'll be generous then. Here's the truth. If we don't start learning it now, someday when a pile of money falls on our lap, or, you know, we finish our schooling, we land that dream job, or you get that promotion you've been chasing, you're not going to suddenly become generous just because your circumstances changed. We need to learn it now and choose to have this now. See, these are the four myths about generosity that permeate our culture that we tend to focus on. Now, I want to give you a definition. Now, right off the bat, I'm going to warn you, this is not some nice, neat, rhyming definition that's catchy that'll stick in your mind. In fact, this is a very clunky definition, and it's kind of clunky on purpose because there's some important words on it we want to focus on. See, generosity is the premeditated, calculated, designated emancipation of personal financial assets. Now, if you can't memorize that and you think that's clunky, I didn't write that. That's Andy Stanley's definition. If you don't like it, you can send an email. Andy at North Point. Actually, I don't know if that's his email, but you, know, you can send it to him if you want to complain. But let's walk through this. Generosity is the premeditated. That means we think it, we think it through. We plan it out in advance. It means we've chosen that we have a plan on this. It's calculated, which means we already know the amount. We have it planned in place. We already know what it's going to be. And, and one of the things that, that I truly deeply believe in is that our generosity is so much more part of who we are when we choose to do it on a percentage, not a dollar figure. Because when we choose to do it on a percentage, it means it'll grow and scale with whatever our life circumstances. And that's being generous. We say it's, so it's the premeditated, calculated, designated. It means it's been predecided where it's going to go. Generous people, people who truly understand being generous, choose where they're going to have an impact. 
They choose to make that generosity, that donation count and achieve things that are bigger than what they could do themselves. It's not just, oh, wherever it goes, but you choose and you say, this is where it's going to have an impact. This is where it's going to matter. So it's the premeditated, calculated, designated emancipation. Now, this is a cool word. Emancipation means to be set free. When we set free our money, when we set free our donations, when we set free our gifts, what we're actually doing is we're setting ourselves free from becoming controlled by money. When we set free our funds and when we set free those donations, those pieces, it means we're not going to be possessed by it. When you set your money free, you, are, you free yourself from being controlled by money. This is why generosity is more than just a gift. It's more about a mindset. It's more about how we handle, how we view things, how we see the world. Because each of those steps starts to integrate with every part of our lives. And we start looking at our world differently through this lens of being generous. So there's the four myths. And there's the definition now, you're probably thinking we're getting close to, uh, you know, Brian's been up there talking for a while. We haven't touched the Bible. What's that about? You know, we are a church. We truly believe in the authority of Scripture. And I want to go to this verse in Acts, but I want to give you some background about it first. So Acts is the book of the Bible that happens after the Gospels. The Gospels are the eyewitness accounts of Jesus' life on earth. And then Acts is the story of what happens after Jesus' death and resurrection. And there's this central figure through Acts. His name is Paul. And he was basically one of the first church planters and missionaries, and he traveled all around the Mediterranean basin, and he set up churches, and he told people about Jesus. And Paul, along the way, he gained some enemies because of what he was doing for Christ. He gained these religious leaders who were trying to shut him down. He was arrested multiple times. He was beaten up. He was flogged. He suffered as he went, but he still kept going. And now Paul's at this point of his life. This is near the end of the book of Acts where Paul knows he wants to get back to Jerusalem because that's the center. That's where it all began. He wants to go back to Jerusalem. But every single one of his friends is telling him, don't go. Don't go to Jerusalem. You know the moment you step foot in that city, the religious leaders are going to arrest you, and this time they're going to find a way to kill you. You know this. But Paul also knew something deep in his heart. He knew that the Holy Spirit was guiding him and leading him and telling him, you have to go to Jerusalem. And Paul knew that something bigger and greater would happen because he would go to Jerusalem. So Paul's on his farewell tour of sorts. He comes to this place, he's just um, nearby Ephesus, and he calls for all the church leaders of that area to gather and meet him on the shore as he's coming by on boat because he's got to get to Jerusalem by a certain date. So he tells them all, come and meet me. And Paul knows when he sees these people, this is the last time he's going to see his group of friends, this group of supporters, these group of colleagues, these people that he has poured his life into. He knows he's never going to see them again. And so Paul starts telling them this kind of, this farewell address. He starts reminding them, this is what I did. And not in a way that he's bragging about himself, but he's just reminding them, this is what God is doing. And so he talks about traveling. He talks about the churches that were planted. He talks about all these pieces. He's giving his last bit of advice to them. And then Paul, at the end of this, he quotes Jesus. He gives these last words. It's kind of an, oh yeah, 
remember this. And this is a phrase you have all heard. Probably you've even said it. Maybe you just didn't know it came from Jesus. Paul says this. He says, you should remember the words of the Lord Jesus. It is more blessed to give than to receive. It's more blessed to give than to receive. And these are the last words he gives to them. See, we've heard this expression before. Maybe we've said it. You know, oftentimes maybe it was said by someone who gave you a gift. You know, it was more blessed to give than to receive. See, here's the truth though, and we've all thought this. Receiving is pretty good too, isn't it? We kind of like to receive things. You know, we like to get gifts as well at the same time. But Paul is quoting Jesus and he's referring back to the saying, remember this, this last piece he's telling them about being generous. So here's the second question I want to ask before we come back to this verse. How did someone else's generosity affect you? How did it make you feel? Because usually this is our first encounter with truly being generous is actually when we've been the recipient of someone else's generosity. How did that affect you? How did that shape you? How did it make you feel? We're going to come back to that question. See, when Paul reminds this group of elders and church leaders and his friends This is the last piece he says to them before he carries on to Jerusalem to be arrested. And why Paul picks this is because he knows that greed and selfishness is part of the human condition. It's something that at some point every single one of us has to learn how do we deal with greed? How do we deal with selfishness? And Paul brings this up because here's the the point he's getting at. If we understand being generous, if we become generous, generous. We can do away with greed and selfishness, but that's the only way. That's why Jesus taught about it. That's why Paul reminded it up, reminded them of it. And in fact, you know, that, that verse uses this older form. It is more blessed to give than to receive. And we think, oh, maybe that's just a holdover from, you know, maybe southern states, someone with a southern drawl must have been translating that, but it's actually not. That term, blessed, goes back to how Jesus began the Sermon on the Mount at the beginning of his ministry. And he had these beatitude statements where he said, blessed are the peacemakers, blessed are the meek, blessed are those who are persecuted. And this doesn't mean like blessed as in you're going to get stuff. This means blessed in terms of you will be happier and you will be fulfilled. Jesus was telling the people, you know, if you are the meek, if you are the peacemaker, those are the ones that will find happiness and fulfillment that goes way beyond anything else. And then Jesus used that word specifically in this verse when Paul's quoting him. It is more blessed to give than to receive because in giving, in taking that posture, in taking that approach, that is where we will find true fulfillment and happiness. See, happiness is when we order our lives around giving rather than receiving. Rather about just what do we get, but how do we tackle this becoming generous? Now, you might be thinking already, you've maybe pulled out your phone and you looked at the calendar and said, you know, maybe I can be busy the next two Sundays and I'll just come back for the 24th. Maybe you're thinking, Brian's off his rocker. This sermon series should be crazy like Brian, not crazy like us, because I don't want to be in this craziness. See, but here's what I want to invite you to. I can't force you to do anything. I can't force you to make choices or decisions about anything. I can 
put this in front of you and say, hey, what do you want to do about this? I can make an ask. What would it be like for us to truly become generous? That's the question I'm asking. This is a thought question. How would we do this? What would it be like if we took this approach? But if you're here, and if you want to come back the next two weeks as we dig deeper into this, we're going to dig into these practical ways of how do we become generous. If you're even curious and saying, you know, I want to understand more of what is this fulfillment piece that Jesus and Paul were talking about. The next two weeks are where we're going to unpack and we're going to focus on this. Now, here's, here's why I think this is important. This might be the only chance where we actually focus on this together and say, let's learn how to be generous. Instead of just assuming and thinking we are and thinking we've got this all down, maybe this is the one chance. And, you know, if you say, and, you know, there might even be, 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 be people here who truly understand this being generous. You've lived this way for decades. You've lived this way for your life you can still challenge yourself to be part of this and say, how can I take the next step in this? How can this be part of orientating my life towards Christ? Now, I want to do one last piece, and this is our imagine phase where I want to ask you to imagine and think about something, and then we're going to talk about our three questions. So I want to imagine that maybe you pull up your your bank account on your phone or you get your next statement, and somehow there's an extra checking account that was never there before. And that checking account has a dollar figure on it. And that dollar figure is all the money that you considered wasted over the last five years. Now, I'm not going to define what wasted is. It's up to you. Maybe it was, you know, a purchase that you didn't work out and you're like, man, I wish I didn't spend that money. Or maybe it was an investment that you kind of knew wasn't going to pan out and was going to end badly, but you still made that investment anyways. Or maybe it was something else. Now, don't, don't elbow your spouse and whisper a number of what you think they've wasted. Don't, don't do that. That's not going to be helpful here right now. But for most of us, that number might be, you know, a couple hundred dollars, maybe a couple thousand. But imagine, just, just think about this. Imagine if all that money that you considered wasted suddenly showed up, but there was a condition to it. You had one year to give it away. You couldn't spend a cent of it on yourself. You had one year to give it away. If you imagine all the money you've wasted over the past five years, what could you have been impacted if you were generous with that instead? What could have you have impacted? What difference could you have made? You know, maybe when your neighbor's car broke down, you would have had that extra reserve. You'd say, you know what, I'll cover those repairs. I know you can't afford them and you need your car for getting around. I'll cover your repairs. Don't worry about it. Don't pay me back. Or maybe there was an opportunity to, you know, fund a project or something. You're like, man, I'd really like to be part of that, but I I just, I physically can't be there. But here you go, I'll fund that project because I believe in what you're doing. Or maybe when, you know, when there's a family member going through a tough time, you could step in and ease that burden. Think about how that feels. Think about that impact that can happen when we choose to be generous with what we have. So this third question that we're going to ask is, what would be the impact of the money you wasted if you were generous instead? What would be the impact? What difference could that have made? See, here's the truth about this little imaginary kind of thought exercise is, is none of us can go back and unspend the money that we now would consider, man, that was a waste. That was a poor choice. I shouldn't have bothered with that purchase. None of us can go back and undo those things. But we can choose 
to change what we're going to do going forward. We can choose to take that step towards becoming generous. We can choose to make a difference moving forward. And so I want to open it up to you. And uh, we're going to leave these three questions up on the screen. And Rod's got a microphone that he's going to walk around with if you want to um, kind of share or speak up to this. But I'm just going to pull up what you guys have typed into the app. And for this first question, why do you think it's hard to be generous? Here's, here's a, I'm just going to read a couple of ones that have come in through here, then we'll open it up. It's difficult to trust that others will be generous when a circumstance arises when you need it. Everyone felt that way sometimes? You know, I could be generous, but is someone else going to be generous when I need it? Maybe that holds us back. We normally look for return on interest. It requires a lot of trust to be just, to be just generous. You know, or, you know, we live in that me world. We worry about what tomorrow will bring. Or sometimes if we don't feel empathy towards someone who needs the gift, we don't want to be generous. Um, what else? Maybe just toss your hand up and Rod will bring you a microphone. What are some of the other reasons why it's hard to be generous? Any thoughts on that? Uh, sometimes it's easier to get more concerned with our own security or our family security. Like, I don't want to give away sacrificially because I'm trying to save for our future or for my children's education or all of these imagined or imagined or real future expenses. Mm-hmm. So instead of being generous with the funds now, I'm like hoarding it. When who knows what could happen with it, whereas I could actually bless someone else's life. Mm-hmm. But yeah, security is something that makes it difficult. Yeah, and security is a hard point. And, and just to be clear, we're not talking about being reckless and being like uncaring. Remember that definition? You know, it's calculated, premeditated, designated. This is, we're talking about planning and building generosity into our lives. But you're exactly right. That's one of the things that holds us back is that, that need for security um, and self-sufficiency in it sometimes too. Any other thoughts? Why do you think it's hard to be generous? How about for the second question? How did someone else... Oh, sorry, we got one. Just quickly, um, I think one of the things, and it doesn't necessarily jive with the um, the planned and calculated thing, but it's like those kind of spontaneous times um, of giving. Sometimes it's hard because people will not accept your generosity um, when it's like a person-to-person kind of thing. So I think culturally, um, we, we're we maybe not good at accepting it, which makes it harder to give, too. And, and I think if we... Um, we're willing to accept the generosity of others, um, that may make it easier for all of us um, mm-hmm. to, to help one another going both ways kind of thing, rather than being fearful that uh, somebody's not going to uh, to pay it back to me later on kind of thing. Yeah, that's a, that's a good point to bring up, that sometimes we're not good at receiving generosity either. And it's it's, it's, you know, it's an awkward conversation that, that just spirals even more awkward at that point of if you're trying to help someone, they're like, no, no, I don't want help. It's always a tough situation to be in, but yeah, it's a good point to bring out. Um, for the second question, how did someone else's generosity affect you? How did it make you feel? And uh, one of the comments that came in here just said, you know, it made me break down and cry that someone would go to that length and think about me and my family. Man, that's a huge impact there. When I and my brother were very young, my uncle and grandparents saved our life. My mother had no money and three other kids, 
My uncle helped my mother so much and never got one cent back. That was unconditional love. Man, what a story. What a piece to influence you as a child growing up, knowing that a family member stepped in like that. I've had people be generous to me after I've done something I would have done anyways, and it made me feel humble. When others have been generous with me, I feel loved and believed in. This is some of the impact of generosity. Any other thoughts on that before we carry on? How did someone else's generosity affect you? Um, My husband was gone for quite some time, and I'm going to cry. Darn it. (laughs) I am. It's emotional. Um, But the church, I haven't been able to say thank you because a bunch of people here pooled money together to fly him out to see our family because we couldn't see him very often. And we couldn't fly him out. So thank you to everybody who was so generous to do that for our family. Because it meant so much to us. Thanks for sharing that. Any other thoughts on this? How did someone else's generosity affect you? I was adopted when I was one and a half years old by my aunt and uncle who could not afford it and not too long afterwards went bankrupt. So they saved me from, and I got to see when I was like 23 years old, I met my mom for the first time and I got to see what my life would have been had I not have been adopted. And it was not ideal. Uh, so they, my aunt and uncle put themselves out put the whole family out big time to save me from a situation that would have been really bad. And uh, <laughs> I can't really say how that makes me feel because that's like, that's my entire life yeah. that was saved by generosity. Wow. That, that's a huge example of how generosity can impact someone. We need someone on this side of the auditorium to speak up. It's all, you know, this side. Come on. Any, any other, like, just briefly, any story? What's, how did it impact you, someone else's generosity? Now, this third question, I know this... Or, um, I'm kind of, well, we're kind of like Chelsea. We have a story about the church. Um, when the boys were born... I'm going to cry too, Chelsea, so don't feel bad. Um, we spent, or they spent six weeks in the NICU, and that was very hard on Joel and I, and um, just the traveling back and forth from Shiloh to Brandon every day, multiple times a day, um, financially it was really difficult, so as uh, the church also stepped up and gave us a beautiful gift that allowed us to continue to go see our boys a little bit stress-free, so that was huge. And then just the kindness that people have shown, like while Joel was away and I was by myself with two babies, not really knowing what I was doing, um, people gave meals, and that was huge because that's like a huge struggle. I didn't know how I was going to eat um, because there's no time to cook. (laughs) So just, yeah, the kindness of the church, the people in this church, it doesn't go unnoticed. Mm-hmm. For a small church, it's a, a huge amount of generosity. I can share one story as well. It was uh, 
over Christmas, uh, just our family was going through financial difficulty, and uh, it was around the time when we were dealing with uh, bankruptcy and stuff like that. And a group of men at a small group put together you know, a couple hundred bucks in an envelope and said, here you go. We want your Christmas for your family to be to be a good Christmas, you know. And that Christmas, we had more money for gifts and stuff for our kids than we'd ever had before. And sometimes it's just a, a tiny little thing. Like, we're talking about men sitting at the table, probably worth millions. But to me, a couple hundred dollars at that time was... It was more than I could have asked for from anyone, and it's just um, the fact that they thought about it, you know, um, really meant a lot mm-hmm. in that particular time. You know, every one of us, if we look at our own lives, every one of us probably has a story like that. Maybe it might have been something small, but something that still had an impact. Again, we said it's not the amount that matters. That's one of the myths about generosity. It's the impact. It's the way it shapes and the way it changes, the way it changes how we relate with one another. It affects who we are and who we're becoming and who God is calling us to be. Now, there's one response that came in uh, to this third question. I'm just going to read it, and we're going to wrap up on this thought because I don't know who put this in. But for that third question, what would the impact of the money you wasted if you were generous instead? And they said, if I was generous instead, I might help someone else feel encouraged or loved. See, this is the heartbeat under generosity. It's not about dollars. It's about those last two words. It's about encouragement. It's about love. It's about being who God has called us to be. See, this is the promise in Scripture. The promise in Scripture was that if we choose to orientate our lives around generosity, because this is how Jesus lived, this is how Paul lived when he was reminding his group of friends, look, this is what I did. He wasn't bragging, but he was calling them to something bigger. It's more blessed to give than to receive. So we're going to keep talking about this for the next two weeks, and I want to invite you to come back. Even if you think you've got this totally down pat, you know this inside and out, you could be up here speaking it better than we could. I want to invite you to come back and wrestle through these things with us because it's your stories that impact. It's your stories that inspire each other to take these steps. And if you put this into practice, if we choose to truly focus on being generous, not just doing generosity, not just doing random acts of giving, even those are good things. If we choose on being generous, you'll be amazed by how your life will change. Let me pray for us. God, thank you so much that you understand the human condition, that you understand our intrinsic desire to be selfish and self-centered. This, this way that we can all be focused, but you also laid out the antidote for that so clearly. Father, you were generous with your love, with your presence, with stepping into the world to invite us to know you. And the generosity that flows through that and through the church today is just unheard of. And Father, we all know that we could stand to take a few more steps on this path. And would you guide us and lead us on this path over the next couple weeks? Would you challenge us Would you open our eyes to the places where we could choose to take a choice that leads us in that direction of becoming generous people? Would you lead us and guide us in those ways? And Father, would you help us to see the stories and see the impact that other people's generosity has had on us and may that inspire us as we take steps forward. 
So Father, again, we just ask you, guide us and lead us in this. In the name of your Son, Jesus, we pray. Amen. Folks, hope you have an amazing week. Enjoy the, enjoy the warmer weather now that it's warmed up. We hope this message helped you to take the next step in your faith journey. If you're in the area, we'd love to have you join us Sundays at 11 a.m. You can find out more about us by going to mygrandvalley.ca.